0: This morning was looking at the event in which God delivered his people, the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt. It required ten plagues to do so. We find the first three plagues that the magicians that were in Egypt were able to duplicate those um, signs and wonders. As I stated this morning, they were not able to prevent it and they were not able to overcome it or to reverse it. And so when Moses cast the rod down. It became a serpent. They cast theirs down. But he got to emphasize, then the serpent of Aaron swallowed the the serpent of the magicians. And then we have the water that was turned into blood. And then we have the frogs that were brought forth from the sea. But the fourth plague was that of lice. And Aaron took and smote the dust of the earth... And it became lice. And all the dust, it said, became lice. And then the magicians tried to do that, and they were not able to. So they came to Pharaoh, and they said, this is the finger of God. With that statement, they acknowledged it had been God's hand that had performed the plagues thus far. That's the last thing that's recorded, that came forth from the mouth of those magicians. And they had it right. Said, this is the finger of God. Over in the 11th chapter of Luke, there was a man who couldn't speak. And the Lord healed him. And there were those who observed this and seen it. And they said, well, he has performed this miracle by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. The Lord replied to them and said, Every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And if Beelzebub, the prince of devils, cast out devils by himself, then his house would become a desolation. It wasn't even logical to think that way. But then he said, But if I, by the finger of God, do cast out devils, then the kingdom of heaven is come unto you. Now, the Lord proved to all the Egyptians and the Israelites his mighty power in sending forth these plagues. Those magicians somehow or another had the power on the first three miracles to duplicate it. Now if you come up to the New Testament, you'll find in the book of Matthew seven twenty-one, where Christ said, Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But whoso overdoeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he said, Many shall say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out devils? He said, Many will say that. And then he will say unto them, Depart from me, ye works of iniquity, for I never knew you. Later in the 24th chapter of Matthew, we find the Lord... Telling his disciples, he said, For many shall come in that day and say, I am Christ. He says, Be not deceived, for many shall say, I am Christ, which of course is not true. And in verse 24, he says, And there shall be false Christ and false uh, prophets. He said, There shall be many of them, many false Christ, many false apostles or prophets. He said, and if it, were very, if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. Now when I read all this, uh, the Lord says, many shall come saying, here's Christ and there's Christ. He said, believe it not. They were saying it. It didn't make it true. In the book of 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, there shall be deceitful workers, false apostles, if Satan himself can be transformed into an angel of light, he says, and marvel not at this, for if that be true, then even his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. There is a supernatural power, I believe, apart from God that exists in this world. But of course, that supernatural power cannot equal the supernatural power of God, of course. But there are things that happen out here that we need to be aware of that that exist. Now, Satan is the master of counterfeit. Those magicians performed the same thing that Moses and Aaron did with their rods, up to a point, and then God didn't allow them to do it anymore. That was it, and they acknowledged this is the finger of God. Now. Satan produces false apostles, he produces deceitful workers, he produces false prophets. Uh, in the book of Galatians chapter 1, the 6th verse, Paul said, If any man preach any other gospel than what we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Even if an angel from heaven preached another gospel unto you, let him be accursed. For there is not another gospel, but there will be some who will pervert the gospel of Christ." They present a message, call it the gospel, have a lot of similarities, but it's not the gospel. It's like I've heard many times when the teller at the bank, they train the tellers to be able to detect counterfeit money. But they don't study all the counterfeit money. They study the real thing. They study it so good they can see and feel when something's not right. They can just feel the bill and tell this is not the real thing. They can see it. They can detect it because they've studied the truth. They've studied what is real, in great depth so that they can detect what is false. They don't have to study all different kinds of counterfeit. They don't have to do that. All they got to do is just study what is real. And the more God's people study the truth, the more of the counterfeit they'll be able to recognize. There's a false Christ. There's a false gospel, false apostles, false prophets, deceitful workers, workers of righteousness that belong to Satan, you, you have all these things that exist out here. Now you have these magicians who were able to cast their rods down and became a serpent. I emphasize one more time that the serpents of Aaron demonstrated greater power than the serpents of the magicians. But we came to the fourth one, the one where Aaron struck the ground, struck the dust of the ground. And what did the Lord say uh, to Adam after he had transgressed God's law, he said, Cursed be the ground, right? And from dust thou art and dust shalt thou return. That dust became lice. They could not duplicate it. They were not able to do the same thing. And they said, This is the finger of God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, If I by the finger of God cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? He said, That's what I've done. I just took my finger... And cast out the devils. Now we find the use of God's finger in the work of creation. In Psalms 8, this is a beautiful psalm. It starts and ends the same way. It says, O Lord, I Lord. And the two Hebrew words, or the two words Lord here, come from two different Hebrew words. One means, the first one, self-existent, eternal. And the second one means, my sovereign master. O Lord, my Lord. O oh Lord, my that's how it starts, how it ends. And in between, he says, when I consider thy heavens, and we notice thy, T-H-Y, they belong to God. When I consider thy heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the work of thy fingers. Creation was the finger work of God. That's what David says about it. When I consider thy heavens, when I consider the moon and the stars, the work of thy fingers... It was was nothing for God to create the heaven and the earth. It was nothing for God to create the universe. Just finger work. We use that expression sometimes uh, in in our life. Don't we talk about somebody's finger work, you know, whatever. Well, this is the finger work of God. And the truth of creation is a truth that is, is woven throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There's hardly a book in the Bible that there's not a reference to God's work of creation somewhere. I love uh, how Jeremiah puts it, Jeremiah ten fifteen. He said, the Lord formed the world by his power, or the earth by his power. He says he established the earth, or the world, by his wisdom and understanding. And he stretched out the heavens by his discretion. Now we see his discretion under consideration, we see his power under consideration... We see his wisdom under consideration. The heavens are a product of God's wisdom, the skillfulness of his hands, the work of his fingers, his power. He just spoke it into existence. That's marvelous. He repeats almost the same thing in the 63rd chapter of, uh, excuse me, the 59th chapter of Jeremiah. He speaks about how he spoke. And the heavens was filled with water, and he caused the vapors to ascend from above. And he talks about how he calls out the uh, the rain and the hail and stuff out of his treasurers, the wind out of his treasurers. Some of the most majestic language in the Bible is when you're reading about the work of God in creation. In the New Testament, it's just put to us more plainly, like in John 1:1, "In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by Him." And without him was not anything made that was made. Now that's as simple as it can be, it seems to me. All things are made by him. And then he says it again in the negative. And without him was not anything made that was made. If you don't get it one way, surely you'll get it the second way. Paul speaks about this in detail in Colossians chapter 1. He says, by him all things consist. And that word means held together. For 6,000 years, what God created has been held together by God. He spoke the world into existence, and he's maintained everything. You know, I've said before, God only made one son. It's still operating. He had not had to replace it. Uh, Everything man makes has to be replaced sooner or later. You know, repair and replace, right? We got a fund, R&R, repair and replace, repair and replace. (laughs) The older we get, the more repairs we have. (laughs) It gets to be patch, patch, patch all along the way. God hasn't had to patch the sun. God hasn't had to patch the moon or the stars. The sun is still shining, still providing everything that we stand in need of. And it was all by the finger work of God. When I consider thy heavens. Man's pretty boastful about all he's accomplished in space and what he thinks he's going to accomplish. What's on the drawing board, so to speak. But I, I would caution man to be a little careful. These heavens don't belong to him. These heavens belong to God. God placed man on this earth and gave man everything he needed on this earth to live on this earth, to survive on this earth until he comes again the second time without sin unto salvation. Until the last day, the end of time, everything man stands in need of, God has provided. He said in the book of Genesis, as long as the earth remaineth, there shall be you know, summer, summertime and wintertime. There should be night and day. There should be seed time and harvest, etc. All that God put into motion, and it's going to exist for the welfare and benefit of the human race until the Lord comes again the second time. When I consider thy heavens, the moon and the stars, the work of thy fingers, then he asks a question. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man. ...that thou visitest him. What is man? That's, that's what man needs to take a look at. You know, What is man to begin? We, we're here as a result of the creative power of God. We're here based upon God's power, God's design, God's wisdom, God's discretion. That's why we're here and how we're here. The last verse of Revelation chapter 4... ...after he introduces to us the rainbow... ...you know the throne and the rainbow around the throne... ...and the four and twenty elders... ...and the four beasts... In all of these things, the last thing it said is this. It says, For thou hast created all things, and by thee are all things created for thee and by thee. (laughs) That just sums it up, doesn't it? All things are created by God, for God. We're here for the glory of God. You know, man wrote a book. I guess he made a lot of money on it called uh, The Purpose Driven Life. The Bible's been telling you about that ever since it's recorded. The Bible will tell you what your purpose of life is. It's to honor God. It's to glorify God. Every single day we live, He's our Creator. He's our Heavenly Father. That's the purpose of His children on this earth is to honor Him and praise Him and glorify Him and let the light show sign before men that see the good works and glorify the Father which is in Heaven. The finger work of God. God demonstrated his power there on this plagues, where the magician just had to confess it's the finger of God. You know, that's a good conclusion to come to, isn't it? It's kind of like Jonah in the bed of the whale. After Jonah had done all he had done, after he would rebelled, after he disobeyed, after he got on a ship going to Tarshish, God sent the great storm, he gets thrown overboard, he prepares a great fish, the fish swallows him, and then you read in his prayer in Jonah chapter 2, and uh, the seaweeds are wrapped around him one thing and another. And finally he reaches this conclusion, salvation is of the Lord. <laughs> and when he did that, the fish brought him up on dry land. I don't see God's people come to that kind of conclusion. Salvation is of the Lord. It's, it's the finger work of God. When Moses went on top of the mountain, you read this, of course, in the book of Exodus you find where God called Moses up to the mountain when they came out of Egypt. Moses did what God said. He brought the nation of Israel there close by to Mount Sinai and Hore him there. And God called him up. And Moses didn't eat anything for 40 days and 40 nights. God supernaturally kept him alive. And he met with God on top of the mountain. And God took two tables of stone and gave him the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says they were written with the finger of God. Written in stone. <laughs> you ever heard somebody use that expression, you know, to really emphatically drive home a point? Yeah, that's just written in stone. <laughs> or they'll ask you about something, and you say, well, I don't know, it's not written in stone, you know. they are just saying it's not permanent, and we might change it. But if it's written in stone, you don't change that. You don't change what's written in stone. And God, with his finger, wrote the Ten Commandments. He didn't chisel it out. He didn't have a hammer. He didn't have a chisel. He took his finger on two tables of stone and wrote the Ten Commandments. And Moses got those two st- tables of stone and was coming down the mountain. And of course, while he was gone away, we find where Aaron and the children of Israel went astray and, you know, Aaron took all the golden earrings and one thing and another and cast it in fire and a golden calf jumped out, he said. (laughs) I don't think the calf jumped out. (laughs) He got him out. But anyway, and then he put the blame on the people. While Moses was on top of the mountain bringing down two tables of stone with ten commandments that God had put in there by his own finger. That's a pretty great display of power, isn't it? You know, Isaiah 53 starts off like this. Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, when I think about an arm, I have to think about a hand. If I think about a hand, I have to think about fingers, right? So he don't say fingers here, but he says, Whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Twice in Isaiah, we find Isaiah speaking as the mouthpiece of God, where God would say, I looked and there was none to help. I wondered, there was none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm hath brought salvation. Exodus chapter 15, after they're delivered out of the land of Egypt, we find this song that's written, it speaks about the right hand of God being glorious in power. I think about a hand, i got to think about fingers. God God has a hand that had not suffered any type of uh, amputation. God's got his fingers, got his hand, he's got his arm. By his own arm, he hath brought salvation unto his people. Those magicians says it's, it's just the finger of God. We can't do anything else. That's the last thing they ever say. At least that's the last thing that's recorded. They couldn't perform another duplication. They couldn't do another miracle there. And they just reached the conclusion it's the finger of God. And they declared that unto, unto Pharaoh. Pharaoh should have listened to them. Because things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse. Things are not going to get lighter. Things are going to get heavier. So now Think about the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 8. And in John 8, you find where the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman that they tell Christ was caught in the very act of adultery. And they bring her to him. And they said to the Lord, Now Moses, according to the law, said this woman should be stoned to death. But what sayest thou? Now we notice if you study the law, not only the woman, but also the man that was involved was to be stoned to death. Now, I don't know where the man is here. They, they really were not interested in justice. They were trying to ensnare Christ. They were trying to get Christ to contradict Moses' law in some way. He said, what sayest thou? Jesus, the Bible says, stooped down, and with his finger, he wrote in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us. Oh, there's a lot of speculation. You'd be amazed at all the things I've heard that Jesus wrote. I got a few of my own ideas, <laughs> but I'm not here to preach ideas or to speculate or speculation. All I know is he stooped down and with his finger, he wrote in the soil, in the dirt, in the sand and he looked up. He said, a he that is without sin, cast the first stone in no way was the Lord condoning the action of this woman In no way was he excusing what she had done. But he's dealing more with them than he is with she. They want to deal according to law. Okay, we're going to do it according to law. He was out sin. Let him cast the first stone. It says that they're all being convicted in their conscience. All left, one by one, begin with the oldest to the youngest. And While they're doing that, Christ stoops down, and the second time, with a finger, writes in the sand. He looks up. There's no one there but him and the woman. He says, Are thine accusers here to the woman? She says, Nay, Lord. Now, at the mouth of two or three witnesses, everywhere it has to be established, there and there, there are no witnesses. So there's not even one witness. And the Lord said to the woman, Go and sin no more. The power of God's finger convicted. Those men who came with this woman not seeking justice, but trying to ensnare him, trying to uh, trap him, get him to contradict Moses' law, and they were totally unsuccessful because he stooped down and wrote in the sand. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe he wrote their names in the sand. Maybe he wrote some sins he knew they had committed in the sand. I don't know what he wrote, but I know he stooped down and wrote twice and that took care of the situation. With his finger, he took care of the situation. With his finger, he enabled a man that could not speak to speak again. And even though they falsely charged him, he tells them, I did this by the finger of God. And by the finger of God, God created the heaven and the earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. All the universe, he simply did it with his finger. And the Lord Jesus Christ, slash God, displayed his great power, and by his power overcame and was victorious over all the efforts of all the devils, Satan himself. While Satan can produce lying wonders, while his ministers can become as false apostles and deceitful workers and false prophets, they cannot equal God in God's power and God's wisdom. And so those magicians found that out. It's the finger of God. I'm glad to believe in a God who's got more power in one finger (laughs) than all the devils in hell, my friends, can assemble together. He's got creation power in that finger, He's got the power to write in stone in that finger, He's got the power to cast out devils in that finger. And he's got the power to convict the consciences of evil men with that finger. It is the finger of God.